I will not read the entirety of that passage again, but I will be turning to a portion from within it in just a few minutes in the preaching of the word and uh, drawing some very simple principles from the text and spending most of our time in the expounding of that and applying of that. This weekend uh, has been an opportunity for me to dwell with uh, some of the members of Grace Christian Church on the subject of parenting. And as Sunday has come, I have wanted to continue with that emphasis, that theme, but I'm also mindful that in the congregation of all the members of Grace Christian Church, you're not all actively involved in parenting. Uh, You are all, I trust you're aware, invested in the work of parenting as part of a covenant community, but I'm wanting this morning to preach something that has a special application to parents, but indeed will teach all of us how to understand first the kind of parenting we receive from our Father in heaven. So I want to open up some things that will give you a greater appreciation for the love of the Father for you. And then as I turn to apply that to parents who are to love their children as we are loved by our Heavenly Father, I hope you will all hear that there is much in what God's Word says in this area uh, to direct us in all of our relationships within the covenant uh, community. So let me lead us in prayer once again as I seek to bring God's Word to you. Our Father, we are thankful that our relationship to you is something far more than mere pardoned sinners. As good as that is, as foundational as that is, as gracious as that is for us who are your enemies to become your pardoned citizens of your kingdom. We're thankful that your love is so great that it has extended to granting us sonship, the privileges of your family, and your love is that great, that intimate. And so out of a refreshed understanding of your love, that's what we seek, would you also make us greater lovers? only as parents uh, to our children, uh, but as friends to our friends, our our college roommates and friends, uh, as church brothers to other brothers and sisters to other sisters. We pray, our Father, that you will make sweet your word to us and transform us into your image more. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to preach this morning on the two loves of God and how that should have a shaping influence on all of us as his children in all of our relationships. And as I say, I have a special concern for parents this weekend. Parenting is 
one big epic endeavor of love. I didn't say something just now that was a newsflash to anyone, I suspect. But I do wonder if I seek this morning to distinguish in your heart between two kinds of love that you already have and rightly should pursue in your home as parents and for that matter in all your relationships, I wonder if there might actually be something that is a a news flash. We are loved by God with two loves. And we're called to, in response to that, love one another with two loves. So let's divide our time between looking at the two loves of our Father in Heaven and then the two loves that our children need from us and for that matter all of our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, need for us. Uh, I need you to be willing to do a little bit of theologizing with me this morning. Which is to say, I'm going to use a couple of theological terms. I will explain them. Uh, they'll actually be quite accessible. They might sound a little bit strange at the outset. These are theolo- theological terms uh, that many of our fathers have used to try to capture these two kinds of love in God for us. I'm particularly indebted to Jonathan Edwards, a name is perhaps familiar to you as what some would consider to be America's greatest theologian to date, Uh, but I'll also be quoting from some of the other fathers this morning that you perhaps will recognize. The first kind of love with which we are loved by our Father in Heaven is what's been called the love of benevolence. You've heard the word benevolence. It's a little uh, old-fashioned, but we still use it. And when we speak about, when our fathers speak about God's love of benevolence towards us, they're referring to this desire in God's heart to do good to us. That's what benevolent people are like. They want to do good towards other people. But here's the key point. Why does God want to do good for us? Why does he love us with this love of benevolence? And the answer to that is, it's his very nature to be that way. Why does he love us? The first and most foundational answer to that question is, simply because he's a great lover. Because it's in his nature to love. This love of benevolence is what explains God coming to do good for us when there was absolutely nothing lovable about us. We are, the scripture is full of colorful ways of depicting this, right? We are, if I may, we're just sitting there in our own filth of sin, in rebellion against Him. And He comes to us in the Gospel. And he loves us. And when we're asked the question, why do you love me? The answer is actually a, it's almost um, what some would call a tautology. It's, it's almost just a repeating of the, of the assertion, uh, why do you love me? Because I love you. There's, in other words, there's nothing in you that explains God's love of benevolence. Now, that's very clear from Deuteronomy chapter 7, 
where God, through his servant Moses, is reminding God's people that when God came to them and set his love on them, it wasn't because he was so impressed with them. As a nation, they were kind of puny. As a people, they were fairly unsophisticated. Uh, He begins the passage by reminding them of all the other nations that had been cast out of the land in advance of them. I won't won't read them again, although the kids would probably like for me to read all those ites, uh, the Hittites, etc. But there's seven nations. God casts them out, and he makes the little note, they were mightier and greater than you. Verse 1. Okay. Then he comes to verse 7 and starts talking about God's love. The Lord, Yahweh, did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples. What Moses is reminding the Israelites is that as they reflect on the fact that God has singled them out from all the other nations of the earth and that they are the recipients of his astonishing, dramatic, historic, epic love, they're not to ever settle into the thought, I guess I'm not that bad looking after all. I guess there was something about us that caught his eye. If... um, If you're just judging uh, the inherent merits of various people groups in the days of Israel, I don't know about you, but I'd think of the Egyptians. The Egyptians as the more impressive lot. I mean, we're still uh, unearthing the glories of that civilization, are we not? And uh, uh, of some of these other nations that were cast out of land, you know, that Israel might uh, land there. And they have their own impressive displays. And as a matter of fact, if you look at those who came up with iron chariots and the like in the Old Testament, not Israel. There's some things that are actually rather unimpressive about this group of shepherds who've been displaced and are slaves in Egypt. So, God is reminding them of the why of his love. Do you, you see the, in verse 7, you, you see that word, uh, uh, the sense there of, of the why. Verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you are more in number than any other people. I dare say that in a Reformed and Presbyterian congregation like this one, what I have been saying thus far is an exceedingly familiar theme to you. Uh, This is the nature of electing love. This is the nature of love that comes to us uh, with that sovereign initiative to make of us, from rebels, uh, to sons. If you were here on Friday night and I was giving you the diagram that explains the whole Bible, some of you uh, were given that little key to everything that you read in the Bible, and some of you will need to ask about it. Uh, That love was the arrow in the center of the diagram. God 
to man coming in this inexplicable love of benevolence and initiating covenant with him. You could look all kinds of places in the Bible for more of this. I'll just cite Romans 5 verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what is so wonderful about this kind of love in God's heart towards us? Well, I'm going to single out one thing in particular that is such a blessing about having a clear eye on this love of our Father, and that is it provides unspeakable security. If, indeed, God loved us while we were still his enemies and sent his son to die for us, even while we're raging against him, speaking of mankind as a whole, and us as members of mankind, well then, now that we're his children, his love's not going to be a fragile thing, is it? His, his love for you is not going to be thrown up into the air as if, oh no, you might lose his love because you did something that truly displeases him. If he loved you while you were still a sinner, now that you are a saint by his grace and one of his children and behave badly and displease him, you still have the security of a father who loves you, as we like to say, unconditionally, he loves you with an enduring love. Wow, that, I could probably just be done right there. And we would have had a good morning in the Word. The first love, the love of benevolence. But it gets even better. There's two kinds of love in the heart of God towards his children. Our fathers in the faith, uh, Edwards et al. Uh, call the second kind of love the Bible speaks of in God's heart towards us as his children as the love of complacency. Now that's also a word that's familiar to you, but it doesn't sound right in the context in which I'm using it now, does it? Uh, young people, uh, if you are ever told by an older person, you are just so complacent. You probably know they're not flattering you. That's not something generally that we have positive connotations with. A complacent person is somebody who just, well, sits back and does nothing. And uh, has a kind of laziness, perhaps, or a certain presumptuousness about him or her. Here's the thing with English words. They're slippery and they keep morphing in our usage. You know this. So oftentimes a word that our fathers latch on to to capture something has evolved into something else. But let me, this is actually, at least to some of us, a quite an interesting thing. This word complacent, once upon a time, just meant to take delight in something. That's actually the way it was used. So uh, it's come to be a negative sense, just sitting back and doing nothing. But, oh, but wait, what if it's another kind of sitting back? What if it's the kind of sitting back in utter delight at what you're looking at? 
you're just taking it in. You're just enjoying it. You're just loving what you're seeing. It might be some great masterpiece of music or art, or it may be an angelic little child, at least in appearance, who walks in the room and you just, now that is a beautiful child. Wow. Now, uh, we don't use the word that way anymore, but I'm going to be using it that way this morning because that's the nomenclature, the, the, the technical term for this second kind of love. And uh, if you'd like to see that love early in the pages of Scripture, uh, think of God on the seventh day after he's made everything good and even one particular part of his creation real good. And on the seventh day, what does he do? He rests. And as those who have, I trust, a love for this idea of Sabbath, we realize that God on the seventh day is, is in a state of love of complacency. He's simply enjoying what he's made. He's worked hard, as we would say, though he was not taxed in his energies, to be sure. He's done mighty things, and on the seventh day, he just takes it in, and he calls on us on the Sabbath day to love him back and to take in the delight of knowing him. So that's your earliest illustration of complacency in God's heart. Now let's talk about how this works, God loving us as his children. This second kind of love is a love that has an explanation in terms of us. More specifically, what he sees in us. And even more specifically, his own gracious work that he sees in us and he takes delight in. He sees in us as his redeemed, those who have been renewed, those who are being made more and more conformed to the image of his son. He sees in us the likeness of his son, and he sees something that he loves. God's love of complacency, our fathers teach us, is his delight in who we are and who we are becoming. By his grace, in ways that please him. Uh, and this is the kind of love, notice, that is a love of delight or complacency that is capable of growing in the heart of God towards us. Now I see the second of those loves also interestingly in Deuteronomy chapter 7. So we've already looked at how he's at such pains to say, when I came to you, you were pretty unlovable, unlovely, and I loved you. That was the love of benevolence. We saw that uh, in the beginning of verse 7. Now look as he continues at verse 12. Well, actually back up. Uh, look at verse 11. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. Having brought you into this covenant relationship with myself, having loved you because I love you, 
nothing in you. Now he says, I want you to live a certain way towards me and in relationship with me. I want you to obey what I've told you to do and to be. Verse 12. Then it shall come to pass because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep you uh, keep with you the covenant and the mercy which you swore to your fathers and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. Do you see the word because showing up again? It shows up again in verse 12 just like it did back in chapter 7. Early on he said, why did I choose you? Was it because you were a mightier and better and a good looking nation? No. Because I loved you. The answer of the first kind of love, why does God love me? It's because he's a great lover. It's because he is love. But now he's moving to look forward in their relationship. As they do by faith in him and the fruit of that faith in their obedience, as they walk before him in a way that pleases him, he's saying, you know what? Because you do that, I'm going to love you. This, our fathers would tell us, is the second kind of love. It's the love of complacency. Of God looking at his children and loving what he sees in them. Why is there anything to love in them? It's all of his grace. It's all of the work of his spirit. But they're being obedient, not perfectly to be sure, but they are seeking to serve him, they're seeking to please him. And he responds in this way, like fathers generally respond when their children are seeking to be obedient. They love that. They delight in that. This is that second kind of love, love of complacency. Uh, It's found also in John's Gospel, chapter 14, where Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There is a kind of love in the heart of God that is a delight at what he sees in us as the very work of his own hands in redemption. What would that kind of love in our Father's heart towards us bring to us? I said the first kind of love is so great a blessing as it gives us security in our relationship. But what does it give to us when we know that God delights in us? Well, this isn't a trick question. It gives joy, a sense of his pleasure, the benediction the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Have you ever thought about what that means? May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. That means his face of pleasure, of delight. May he be pleased with you. May he be a father who's saying, that's my boy. I'm loving what I see. As he seeks to serve me. This is the consciousness that God, despite all of our sins, by virtue of the cleansing blood of Christ and the renewing work of the Spirit, does 
see in us more and more things to love about us. Now, I suspect that this second kind of love is the less familiar of the two, I'm guessing, in this room. You know that God loves us despite our sins. It may be harder for the dear saints in this room to actually grasp that God also delights in you. I had a, a dear brother who I've pastored for many years at Resurrection Presbyterian said to me, Pastor, I, I really have grasped that God loves me, but I have a hard time grasping that he likes me. You know what he was doing. The kind of love that God has for despicable people. He got that because he felt like a despicable person. He knows his own sins. And he's so thankful that God loves despicable people. In Christ. He had a harder time thinking. Even after all these years seeking to serve the Lord, growing in grace, there would be anything in him by God's grace that God loved, that he liked, the way we often use that word. John Brown was a 19th century Scottish preacher uh, and a commentator. I've known him from his commentaries. He's speaking of this expression of Jesus saying, whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. He says this, before such men loved Christ, referring to those who are chosen by God, All you could say of the Father's love to them was he loved them because he loved them. But now he loves them for what he has himself made them to be and to do as believing, obedient lovers of his Son. Our Scotsman father goes on to say he cannot but be well pleased with those who having Christ's commandments love him And through Christ, keep his commandments. As you continue to digest these two loves, the second that you'll also see throughout the scriptures, uh, think again of what is a common saying in our midst, God loves me apart from anything in me. That's profoundly and wonderfully true. But it's also only part of the story. God loves you when you're unlovely. And here's how good the good news is. His love for you is actually making you lovely. Lovable. A source of delight to his fatherly heart. I'll pass over quotes from Samuel Rutherford. You've had enough Scottish Presbyterian theologians for one morning. Uh, Have you ever thought about Jesus? The statement about Jesus in Luke chapter 2 that is a real head-scratcher unless you understand this second of the two loves. Luke 2 verse 57, And Jesus increased 
in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What was happening between Jesus and God such that in his life he actually gained favor with God? What was happening? Was there something changing about the fundamentals of his relationship with the Father? No. But there was growing in the Father's heart a delight towards this Son who was increasingly displaying love for him his humanity by his obedience over time. Wonderful that this is true not only of our Lord Jesus, but can actually be true by his uh, indwelling our hearts of us as well. So, if there are these two loves in the Father's heart towards us, what does that mean for us who are fathers? who have little people in our lives that we're going to love like we've been loved. This is where I'll I'll be speaking of the two loves for this next half of our time, the two loves that our children need from us. So you recognize that I'm particularly orienting this towards parents and grandparents and those who are in the covenant, virtual parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, but... Uh, every time I speak of the chil- what children need, let me also say this is what your roommate needs. Uh, this is what your brother or sister in the Lord needs in terms of these two kinds of love. Isn't it interesting that in this realm of parenting, both of these kinds of love actually, in a, in a certain way, in a natural way, even beyond the covenant community, they show up in homes. They show up in parents' hearts. You can see these two kinds of love in parents the worldwide by God's common grace, you see this love of benevolence. By the way, if the words are just still not doing it for you, those larger theological terms, you could call the love of benevolence the love of devotion. That might be a little handier. You could call the love of complacency his love of delight. We could also do it that way. Do you not see in parents the worldwide a love of devotion for their kids. This is what makes moms and dads willing to go through that utterly upside-down season of chaos when the child comes home and refuses to sleep when every other human being is asleep in their life. Uh, And they begin to sacrifice and they begin to give themselves and they're devoting themselves to this exceedingly needy human being and aside from an occasional cute smile, there's not much in them to love. Matter of fact, there are objective things about them that are exceedingly distasteful. I will not elaborate. This is the way parents are. They love because they're lovers. They love because that's their nature as parents. And I'm thankful that God, by His grace, it's always His grace that puts any kind of love in any human being's heart. I'm glad that His common grace does give so much of this, even to parents outside of the covenant community. This is what explains parents who are so sacrificial to, let's face it, kids, oftentimes ungrateful sons and daughters. And they just keep giving. This is what explains the love of a father or a mother for a child 
who is breaking their heart. And they just keep loving. That's love number one. It's a love of devotion. We also see the other kind of love in parenting, and it's parenting the worldwide. We see in parents, interestingly, we see in parents a particular bias to see absolutely every possible thing that's good in their own child, don't we? There's a certain kind of bias that we see in parents. Isn't my baby beautiful? And sometimes you're a bit on the spot when that question is put to you. Oh, isn't he so clever? Watch what, listen to what he did the other day. What are they doing? Well, they're delighting in their offspring. Uh, when those children get to be full of accomplishments, well, this can make moms and dads a little tedious. They want to talk about that, don't they? Yeah, actually, uh, just the other day I was talking to my son, and he was doing such and such and such, and you know, they might be bragging just a little bit. But behind that is this love number two. They are seeing in their children something that delights their parental hearts. Now, I think that's just as plain as the nose in your face that parents have these two kinds of love well beyond the covenant community. Ah. But what does that say to those of us who are in the covenant, who are ourselves the recipient of both of those kinds of love from our Father in Heaven? Doesn't this mean that we're the ones of all people who should be lovers in our parenting of our children as those who are loved that way by a father who's in heaven. We should be the most loving parents on the planet. And in case it is not clear in all that I shared on Friday evening and Saturday morning with those of you who were here, I want to make it crystal clear that biblical parenting, not unlike all other relationships within the covenant is fundamentally a pursuit of love relationship. That's what parenting is. A love relationship. Everything parents do is out of love for their children if they do it rightly. All the discipline we talked about Saturday morning, all the instruction has to be done out of both devotion and delight. Love number one. Love number two. Folks, that's why it is rightly a normality in the covenant for children to grow up loving Jesus. I know there's exceptions. I'm painfully aware there's exceptions. But it should be a normal thing for our children to grow up loving Jesus. Why? Because they grow up loving us as their parents who ourselves are loving them and loving them with Christ's own love. And it's this love matrix out of which they don't have a chance. They're going to love Jesus. Because his love for them has come so profoundly through their parents. So I have... Two highly predictable exhortations for my fellow parents. 
as I come to the application this morning. By now, you could probably guess what they're going to be in light of these two loves of the Father. I can say, whatever relationship you're in, especially with another brother or sister in the Lord, it applies to that relationship. But I'm going to talk to parents most explicitly. Number one, mom and dad. Your children need to know that you will love them no matter what. Love number one. Your children need to know that you love them when they're bad and you love them when they're good. Your children need to know that their sins, even their biggins, don't threaten that love. They need to grow up in the full security of that love. I hope I won't step on any kids' toes when I talk to parents about you kids for just a minute. You don't have to leave. You can stay right where you are. (laughs) Parents, isn't it the case that this first love, various times in your Ministry to your children. It's the main gear you have to run in. You've got to, you've got to shift into the love of devotion, the love of benevolence, the love for no other reason than that your heart is committed to your children in love. Because, well, they're not giving you good job reviews. You're exhausted. They're ungrateful. They've sinned against you. They need discipline. In their sin, they're not particularly attractive. None of us are. Nothing in that moment that you can see to love. In that son or daughter, you're ministering Christ's love too. And you're doing things, you know this so well, parents, you're doing things that your kids don't even know you're doing for them and may not ever, or if it is, it's when you're old. And you keep loving. Because you're loved that way. Don't demand of your children lovableness in order for you to love them. They should love you because you first love them. They should love you because they're loved by you. Unconditionally. And how does that work? How actually is it that we can love the unlovely? Can love just because we're lovers? Well, unlike the God of heaven and earth, it's not because we are love. (laughs) Not even as a creature. Unfallen. Or could we say that about man? That's only true of God. God is love. But... In salvation, God, who is love, comes to us and unites himself to us by his Son and pours into us the love that he has had from all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he makes us little fountains that overflow with the love we receive from him. What, I, what that means in the very practical and nitty-gritty is in those moments when you realize 
if I'm not in the gear of love number one, love of devotion, if I'm not in that gear, then I'm not going to love my kids. How do I have that love? You have it in relationship with Christ. You have it in relationship with the one who love, is the lover of your souls. You have that as you have a sense of his love. So your pursuit of a sense of the love of God in your life is the most vital part of parenting. Because it's out of the overflow of that that you can love the unlovely. Love number one. Second word, perhaps somewhat predictable, of exhortation. Your children not only need to know that you will love them no matter what, your children also need to know that you see a lot in them to love. More, in fact, as the days go by. Your children, brothers and sisters, need to know this too. That you love what you see in them when they are good. And that they can grow in your own delight in them as they grow in grace. They need that joy to go with that security. Love number one and love number two. I actually think that there are dear Christians who've grown up under extremely devoted Christian parents. And they've come to be very thankful for sacrificial, untiring service of their mom, of their dad. I've met a couple of these whose testimony nonetheless is for all the love my mother, my father showed me. I didn't ever really get the sense that they enjoyed being with me. I didn't get the sense that they delighted in our relationship. Well, that's sad, isn't it? That's a misshapen love. That's a love of one kind and not of both kinds. This second kind of love is something that has to be cultivated. It's something parents have to devote themselves to. Delight is not just something that happens to you. You get hit up aside the head by it. Yes, it does happen. You, you, you're in a state of full love of complacency when you see the big blood moon. Is that what it's called? That just rose the other morning after a night. Storms. And you just go, oh, that's beautiful. It does sometimes just hit you. Other times, you have to devote yourself to seeing in another person things to delight in. I could do a long little digression here on marriage. That's what makes marriages not just strong, secure, but happy. Husbands and wives that are seeking the things in each other that delight them. Seeing the stuff to love in each other. And I'm especially wanting parents to recognize that this is what your children need. Your children need you to be aware when they are sincerely seeking to obey you and they need to know that it will be noticed and that will be delighted in by you. You will love them for that. 
course, a parent who's impossible to please is rather unlike his Heavenly Father, who in Christ is easy to please. A father, a mother, who's quick to recognize that you did that because I asked you to. You did that without me even asking you to. I'm so thankful. Son, I'm so pleased with you. And uh, depending on the age of said son, could create the goofy, <laughs> good feeling of being loved by father or mother who delights in their children. Laughing at things with your children. Delighting in their accomplishments, work or on the athletic field. Expressing appreciation for their work in the yard. When they're young, making up silly games to play with them just in order to hear them laugh. Which is one of the best sounds on the planet. A child laughing. When your little child says, watch me daddy. Watching them, ready to just put aside your day and to light in this beautiful person wanting to make you laugh. When they're older, <coughs> my brothers and sisters, fellow parents, looking for ways, times and circumstances to just enjoy being with them, doing the things that will endear you to them. Looking for ways to give them more mature commendations. Well done, good and faithful son. This is essential to all love relationships. Finding ways to delight ourselves in the other, the beloved. I love my 18-year-old son with the love of devotion pretty much exactly the same way that I loved him when he was one. A visceral commitment to his good. Nothing's changed. He's a lot bigger. A lot of time's passed. But in terms of my love for him of benevolence, I'm his father that is fixed and unchanging. But he's 18. He's been living with me a few years. I've been watching him grow in his own ability to follow Christ and to be obedient to his father and mother and to serve in his church and all the rest. And are you surprised when I say to you in light of that second reality, I love him a whole lot more now than when he was first born. There's something about that second kind of love in my father's heart that's so much better, so much bigger. Just like Jesus was loved more after he went to the cross by his father in heaven than when he was first born in his humanity. So I hope that I've given you, maybe for the first time, maybe it's just been a, a refresher, I hope I've given you uh, these, these categories for what you're already experiencing in your homes and in your other relationships within the covenant 
And I hope you'll be able to see at every turn how these two loves go so well together. The kind that is due only because of what's in the heart of the lover. The other kind of love that is a response to what's in the beloved. Now let me conclude with a word of encouragement. It's so convicting for us to get together and talk about parenting. Parents are some of the most easily convicted people on the planet, especially if they're earnest Christian parents. Just to say to some of my fellow parents, I've been convicted this weekend too. Uh, So many ways we fail in our parenting. We wrong our children. Indeed, I'm so keenly aware of that. It's hard to be held to a standard of God's own parenting as sinful parents ourselves. But here's the word of encouragement. It comes from Peter. He has this interesting, curious, if you think about it, encouragement to us. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Here's my encouragement, parents. You will sin still further against your children, but here's the encouragement. If you love them, they will know that and they will not find it hard to forgive you as the one who loves them so well. Parents have to apologize to the kids. They have to say, son, please forgive me for what I said. And I don't know the exception to this rule, but I have truly humbled myself and asked a son or a daughter, please forgive me. They're so quick, so ready. I forgive you, Daddy. That's grace in their heart. Brothers and sisters, it's also a manifestation of grace in a home. Parents are truly, in imitation of the Father, lovers of their children, making it easy for their children to cover even a multitude of sins because the heart of the Father is in the heart of their Father. For all my dedication to laying out biblical principles of parenting, uh, this really is the fundamental. Be devoted to your children as the Father is devoted to you. Delight yourself in your children as the Father delights himself in you. And yes, seek their forgiveness when you fail. And let's go to the Lord now and seek his help and blessing on this great work of imitation of him in our parenting.